The Illuminative Stage of the Spiritual Life, a podcast brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. Why do Catholics know so little about the spiritual life beyond the purgative stage? Do you desire a greater union with God? If you are baptized, God wants a more intimate union with you. So what are the signs that one is entering a mystical relationship with God? All this and more is discussed by Kevin Rorty in this 13th episode of Our Lady's Shock Troops. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, content director for the Fatima Center, and I'm joined once again by Kevin Rorty of Soka, Souls of the Christian Apostolate, as we bring you this next episode in Our Lady's Shock Troops. Last time we talked about the dark night of the census. If you recall, that is the transition between the first and second stages of the spiritual life. So we had already talked about the purgative stage, and now today we'll be talking about the illuminative stage, and the last time again was the transition, dark night of the census. So we're not going to review that this time. We'll uh, pretty much be jumping straight into the illuminative view. You can view the other shows if you need to. And uh, welcome, Kevin. It's great to have you again. Thanks, David. Awesome to be here, and it's one of my favorite topics, so I'm excited for this. And if you will, Kevin, please start us off with a prayer. We'll do the Veni yep. Creator Spiritus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Veni Creator Spiritus, mentes torum visita, in place superna gratia, que tu creasti pectora. Quidiceris paracletus, altissimi donum dei, fons vivus ignis caritas, et spiritalis unxio. Tu septi formis munere digitus patone dextere, tu rite promissum patris sermone ditans cultura. Accende lumen sensibus, infunde amorem cordibus, infirma nostri corporis, virtute firmans perpeti. Ostem repelas longius, pacemque dones protinus, tutore sic te previo, vitemus omne noxium. Perteciamus da patrem, noscamus atque filium, Teque utriusque spiritum, credamus omni tempore. Deo patris sit gloria, et filio quia mortuis, surexit ac paraclito in seculorum secula. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, introduction has pretty much been given. Kevin, we've got someone who's going through the purgative stage, and they've eliminated all mortal sin. They pretty much eliminated that deliberate venial sin now it's just trying to fight against the sort of venial sin that happens without too much thinking right they've got disciplined life they're praying on a regular basis especially the things we've talked about here the mental prayer every day doing some spiritual reading every day praying their daily rosary doing their daily duty got a plan of life then the dark night of senses hits them and so they're they're really thrown off and that's, I guess, a tough thing to get through. Uh, what happens after that, or what's the illuminous stage like? Yeah, well, it's interesting because in a way you could say you're just beginning. Um, you just uh, because you know we as we think well, the 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 height of the spiritual life is once you're not sinning anymore, you know. And in a way, yeah, that like to be at the point where you're not committing like hardly any imperfections or venial sins. I mean, like that's really, really high up or you doing like not even in hardly any involuntary ones even, you know, like that's, that's very high up. But 
generally, like when we think of sin, we're, most people are talking about serious sin or at least deliberate venial sin. And that really is like, you know, you're taking baby steps in terms of if you realize <clears throat> what we were made for in the garden to be with God, living in him at all times in union with his will, um, just really infused with divine wisdom of seeing him in all creation and every thought and all desires. We'd have control over our own passions and all these things, like how far removed we are from the state of where we were pre-fall. It makes sense that like there's so much that grace that not only restores nature, but it elevates us to a supernatural plane. Not to say we won't have to deal with the dangers of concupiscence, but to realize we are called to such an elevated state it makes sense that sort of just doing these things, that's just setting the fertile soil for that supernatural grace to grow upon, that we become supernatural beings so in tune with the Holy Ghost in everything that we do, where he becomes more and more the agent of our activity. So that's where I'd begin to understand what the illuminative stage is, that the purgative is a lot of purging, setting that fertile soil where contemplation starts to begin. And in the illuminative stage, God starts to act more and more in us. In the beginning, we have what are called the gifts of the Holy Ghost that are like sails for the wind of the Holy Ghost to blow upon so that he becomes the agent of our activity. The problem is that those sails are extremely dirty before we go through that purgation. And so once we've gone through that purgation and they're cleaned off and they're capable of receiving those gusts of wind, so that the Holy Ghost can really blow on us, that's where the illuminative stage starts to begin. It's less our own activity and more his. What that's called in in theology is mysticism versus asceticism. Asceticism referring primarily to our efforts, our active efforts of what's more under my control. And of course, everything comes from grace, but on a practical level, there's, there's not as much of that conscious awareness or really that giving over to God fully. Whereas in mysticism, mysticism refers to not just, you know, some people think it's the New Age stuff or even in Catholic circles, you know, that it really just refers to extraordinary phenomena like visions or, you know, hearing things or or whatever it is, you know. That's not necessarily, like those things could be, you know, a part or under the umbrella of anything that could be considered mystical. But the ordinary side of what is mystical that every Catholic is called to is just God operating more and more in the soul through those gifts where he is acting more. It's less our own volition, so to speak, but our cooperation with his activity in us. And so that's the huge transition from the purgative stage to the illuminative stage, where in the beginning it's more ascetical effort on our end. And then God starts to give us grace where these things become more habitual it's somewhat like the microcosm of this could be like a particular habit you're trying to form. When you're trying to form a good habit, it takes time to like instill it over time and then eventually becomes more and more, more disposed to it. The same could apply as you transition from the purgative to the illuminative stage of really just allowing God to act in us of living on that supernatural plane where you might have those moments in contemplation where it feels like God is guiding it fully. You know, it's not hard. But oftentimes the beginning, both in the life of virtue and in the life of meditation, St. Teresa describes it as like you have a well 
and you're scooping water out of the well with a bucket. And so that takes arduous effort. But then all of a sudden, you know, there's an aqueduct. And so you get the water right from the aqueduct and you don't have to expend all that energy. It's God who's just giving it. That's what contemplation, infused contemplation, authentic Christian contemplation, where God is giving a glimpse of his own inner life. That's what she describes that contemplation as, is God giving it. And so that's, again, these are all the things that are transitioning to the illuminative stage. Is that making sense so far, David? You know, it, it is to some extent. I guess a couple things I just wonder about. If someone was in the illuminative stage, are they aware of it? Like, do they realize, oh, I've gone through this transition. I'm like in a different stage. Or is it something that, that you're not necessarily aware of? It's just kind of like becomes life for you. And I guess the parallel I draw is because I think a lot of times in talking about this, it, uh, it's probably something that is far beyond the experience of many of us. Yeah. And we don't quite get it. You know, I mean, I get a glimpse of this and sort of thinking to myself, this is probably why most people read stories about the saints and either think, well, that's not possible or that saint was crazy or this is an exaggeration, you know, a pious exaggeration, all these different things. Because it seems to be, it's like on a whole different plane. I mean, again, with your analogy, if I'm always used to having to go to a well and pull it up, and that's just all reality is for me, I can sort of never understand or never believe that water would just show up on an aqueduct. Like you just, you couldn't fathom that if all you knew was a well. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And the reality is, yeah, the vast majority of Catholics probably don't have much experience with this kind of stuff. On the flip side of that, you know, this was something especially in the early 20th century that theologians like Garrigou Lagrange, a great Thomistic theologian of the 20th century and others who were in that sort of school that were emphasizing a lot that infused contemplation is for all Catholics, that all are called to this. It shouldn't be seen as something extraordinary. And the hope would be that preaching and sermons and all and, and how we talk about the faith would include these illuminative elements that it wouldn't just be, hey, here are, you know, practical things to be virtuous, which are good. But a lot of these things, you know, if you just follow natural law and Aristotle, who is a pagan, you know, you can figure these things out. Right. But we're called to something supernatural. You, they really wanted to emphasize this should that we and we shouldn't say, well, the common Catholic isn't called to that. We should just hope that he can get into purgatory and that's sufficient. It should be a calling on of everyone to holiness, to sainthood, like St. Francis de Sales. That wasn't just a recent thing. That was St. Francis de Sales. Now, there was debate about that in the past two centuries. Are all Catholics called to holiness? Are they all given, you know, the call to contemplation, these sort of things? And in the, the Orthodox answer came to be clearly yes to both. And so in a certain sense, you're right. It might feel out of like, well, where is that coming from? But it also, when I say ordinary, I mean, like, there are probably times where you are, you may not be conscious of the reality that God is speaking to or he's moving you in a certain way. For example, if you're, if there's an occasion of sin that you know, and there's a certain fear of truly offending God or horror of that sin, and there's this instinct that you have in you. That's what the gifts are, a spiritual, supernatural instinct of the Holy Ghost inside of you to divert away from that. 
a lot of people probably have some experience of it. That is this mystical activity of God acting in you. Now, with the saints, that becomes like all the time that they're living on this instinct. That's why, you know, you progress into the unitive stage where God is, they're acting in almost perfect conformity with God's will at all times. But I think I, my hope would be that as I talk about this, that the sense that this is so far beyond the reach of our experience, we can start to see some other examples with the gift of piety, for example, where I feel a great devotion. I'm inspired with this devotion of God is our father. He deserves reverence. He deserves our fidelity. I have a love for devotions or for the liturgy, anything that resembles the faith, you know, Our Lady, these kind of things. That, that's the gift of piety. These things do happen. And maybe even in prayer, when you're in meditation or you're at high mass or, or low mass or you're praying the rosary or something and there's little glimpses you get, you're, there's an inspiration. Those are little moments of that mystical activity in your soul. So I would say that in, for myself, being able to look back and saying, even in my youth, you know, there were times where I can point to and I could recall where things like that happened. It, it encouraged me to really, you know, believe God wants to grant this and to ask and desire it. And that motivated me all the more to make the effort to dispose myself for it because I knew that God wanted to give this and he wanted to act more and more in me. And I, I needed to just start to be more aware and cooperate with that. And that's what Lagrange talks about is we should be desiring this gift. This is the gift that our Lord is referring to, to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, uh, where he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Um, I have water that you will no longer thirst after you have this water. It, it wells up into eternal life. So that's, that's what this is supposed to be, a, a glimpse, a taste of that in contemplation, but also in our day-to-day activity where God acts through us. Is that making sense so far? Well, if uh, at the very least, I would say it's good to talk about it because, <laughs> as you say, if it's so far beyond your experience that you never think about it, one of the first steps is just to start discussing it, to start becoming a little bit more aware, to get people talking about these things, to get people thinking about these things, and to start trying to give them some of the terminology because it's true that you can't desire or love what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so this probably is, in fact, part of the problem in that we don't know God well enough. We're not intimate well enough. We don't know about this relationship. We haven't heard enough about this. We haven't talked about this. We're not getting sermons on this, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think most Catholics will feel a little disconcerted in hearing all of these things. But, oh, well, feel disconcerted. Let's dive in and let's talk more about it, because this is the very first step we need. Yep. So if one is feeling a little awkward or feeling a little lost, that might just be the reality of the situation we find ourselves, but we won't get over that discomfort if we don't talk a little bit more about it. So are there other sort of uh, trademarks or uh, hallmarks or things that happen in this illuminative stage? Yeah. So as we talked about before, the transition is you start to receive some infused contemplation and coinciding with that is the dark night of the senses. And so there's a certain dryness and detachment from created things that happens and even from certain constellations that we may have been accustomed to in our prayer life. So as we've gone, kind of gone through that transition and now we're getting into the illuminative stage, a few things generally you could see a signpost. Well, one would be you start to see the life of Christ lived out in your own life, the mysteries of the faith start to become more and more present, especially through 
the life of Christ. For example, you might be drawn to a particular mystery. If you follow the lives of the saints, many of them were drawn to particular devotions or particular mysteries. Their last names, so to speak, for sisters, they always they have particular names, right? Santa Teresa de Jesus, uh, Saint Teresa of Jesus, Saint Therese of the Child Jesus, Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. The list goes on. You know, Saint John of the Cross. They're drawn to particular mysteries, typically that act somewhat of a, as of a lens for them to see through things, see see through life through that lens almost. And that's not to say that they don't have other mysteries they meditate on or that the whole of the faith becomes living in them, but there tends to be a draw to one or two particular mysteries. You know, that could be different for different saints or different Catholics for that matter. But there's a draw to that and you start to see Christ's life played out more and more in your life. So, for example, you could start to see betrayal, maybe, maybe persecution for living out the faith um, in little ways that it may not be overt, like someone's going to come kill you, but you might you know, from family members or from friends who start to see this devotion or you might be detached from certain occasions that you didn't want to be a part of, even if for like St. Teresa's case, it was she needed to stop going to the parlor because she kept gossiping there. That's not a mortal sin, at least the kind of gossip she's talking about. And probably people were offended. She didn't want to be there anymore. You know, they took offense because they grew this expectation of how she would act. So there's going to be stuff like that that might happen. Or it might be, you start to see this strength to be able to overcome sins that you used to be really struggle with. And you could see sort of the resurrection in your life in that sense, the resurrection of Christ, where I could think when I was 16 years old, there were things as a young man that I struggled with that today, they're not really things that I even think about on a daily basis, you know, not to become proud, but you start to be able to say, oh, wow, I can give praise and thanks to God for these gifts that he's given me these graces over time. And so, you know, the list could go on. You could see, well, I'm in a dark place. I don't know what to do. And I'm relying on my mother, Mary. And so you start to see these living element come out. You know, I was just talking to a friend recently about particularly the gift of piety. And he struggles with scrupulosity, you know, and he was talking about how really praying for piety and to learn. I don't have total control over my salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. And I have to learn to I have to trust him like I have to. And he said, you know, I'm into traditional liturgy. I know all this stuff about theology and all that stuff. But four years ago, I would not have been able to. If you ask me, what does it mean to trust God? I would not have been able to tell you. And I'm actually having to learn this through experience. It's one thing to be able to read about it in a book, but it's a whole nother thing to feel like I am dependent on God. So these are all different sort of experiences you can see, you know, where you you start to identify more and more your life with the life of Christ, not just living a virtue here and there or trying to get rid of this or that sin, but really like I unite my actions more and more with Christ and I see my life as connected to his redemptive mission, to his life, death and resurrection. Is that making some sense? No, sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. I was just thinking right now how key then another reason why, for example, meditation is so important because I think uh, a lot of times when we do our meditation, that's one of the things that we said I try to do, right? I try to, you know, I read a little bit of the gospel, for example, maybe, and I see what is happening in our Lord's life, and I'm trying to make some connections. So I'm trying to put myself there in the scene. And as you do more meditation over the years, I can see how that can also sort of begin to prep you just so that it's not just that you're reading or thinking about it and meditating on it, but now you're actually sort of, it's become so much more real that you can actually start seeing it in 
how Christ is living in you. I mean, again, as you say many times, it's got to be a fundamental truth of our baptism because in baptism we say we're supposed to die with Christ and rise with Christ and therefore we're living the life of Christ. Even what we suffer, you know, we're not supposed to see it as suffering apart from Christ, but rather you're in a state of grace, you're, you're a Catholic who's united to the body of Christ, therefore your sufferings are also Christ's sufferings. There's not a separation, right? And that starts making sense of some of the things that St. Paul will say in the scriptures, that deep sort of, yeah, seeing Christ's life in his own. So, I mean, it makes mm-hmm. sense in that sense. Any other signs or things that might be happening there in the, in the luminous stage for people? Yeah, so um, I'll talk particularly about the gift of understanding, then about providence, and then finally I'll just kind of conclude with some of the different levels of prayer, so to speak, that coincide with this stage of the spiritual life. So um, first with the gift of understanding, I think that this gift is particularly pertinent during this time. The gift of understanding allows us to pierce through the mysteries of the faith in a supernatural way. God gives us insights to see the richness behind them. So the difference between having supernatural faith, which is truly supernatural and an amazing gift. And if you deny that, it's a mortal sin, unbelief in Christ and his church and his truths. That's a mortal sin. But you can be in the state of mortal sin and still have supernatural faith. You can believe in the creed, but you can be in the state of mortal sin. You no longer have charity in your soul nor hope, but you can still believe these things. Unless you've committed a mortal sin against faith, you still have faith in your soul. But understanding basically is the difference between assenting to the truths of the creed, for example, and being able to pierce through and see in a mysterious way that goes beyond words. You know, it's not against reason, but it's beyond reason, beyond what words can really describe to start to see, whoa, this, like, what does that mean? Credo in unum deum, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, you know, like the Father Almighty, you know, that really piercing through of, you know, I can give words of how great and amazing he is, but you just kind of see it in a certain way. Or just like the incarnation, you see that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he want, he, he is so, he's thirst. He's in a certain way made himself desperate to reach our souls, to save our souls, that he descended so far down to become man. And you just sort of like, you're given some intuitions about this. You know, St. Teresa of Avila is just so active where she didn't know Latin, at least not well. And she would be praying the divine office and sometimes she would know what she's praying. The words, it would all make sense to her um, because she was given the gift of understanding to perceive what scripture really means, you know. Uh, now, I, I know that say, might. No, I was going to say that that shows something, whether in Latin or English or any other language. I mean, the Psalms, you know, I like to pray the Psalms. I try to pray them every morning, part of the divine office. And I mean, everyone I've ever talked to over many years, priests and other, they're always rather perplexing. If you ask someone, like, explain this particular psalm to me, yeah. about every psalm has got some really mysterious passages that are tough. I remember even talking to one priest that was pretty funny. You know, they kind of asked him, well, what does this psalm mean? He says, look, I've been saying the divine office for 20 years. I still struggle with that. I just, I just get my bravery done. I get it done. Yeah. And so I can see how you do require a supernatural gift to start understanding some of those deep, deep mysteries in the psalms, for sure. I mean, just a side little note, I lament that it seems... We have such a lack in particular of this gift of understanding right now in this day and age because you know, there's been this massive dismantling of the faith. Yeah. And I don't think that could ever have been done 
by those who actually understood mysteries of the faith. And that's the sad part, that you have people dismantling things that they don't even understand. And it's probably because there was a lack of understanding in a very large sort of global scale within the church militant that those kinds of things were able to be done. And so we really do need to recover this gift of understanding. I'm sure that would give us a much greater inside appreciation, love for the truths of our faith, you know, that are reflected in everything we do in all of our in the liturgy, in our devotions, in everything that Holy Mother Church and her wisdom and the saints have passed on to us in tradition, we begin to, we don't appreciate because we don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and St. John of the Cross describes the creeds or the preambles of the faith, the doctrines, you know, as a statement, as silvered surfaces which have gold underneath. And so we pierce through the silvered surface to see the gold underneath with these gifts, especially the gift of understanding. And, you know, like I was just reading for my meditation, the Second Corinthians 13, maybe, where St. Paul talks about where grace is made perfect in our infirmity, in our weakness. And it just like struck me of my own weakness and how undeserving I am of any graces or anything God can do through me or you know, any progress I've made from the last 15 years of my life and stuff like that could have you if you just pick up the scripture and you just see like, wow, this seems so pertinent. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, like medieval times, you know, they would just they, they would they would open scripture and, and basically assume like God would speak to them just whatever page they'd open to. Uh, like sometimes they would have debates or whatever, and they would settle it by just opening scripture. Now, I mean, I'm you know, that, that I, I'm not necessarily saying we should always be doing that kind of practice, but. That sort of liveliness of faith, you know, I think really coincides with this. this well, I'll tell you, if you were a St. Bernard of Claveau and knew the scriptures the way he did, you could do that. And, and it would be a beautiful because, yeah, I mean, that's probably the way it's supposed to be read. But you've got to have that level of, of sanctity, of holiness, of virtue, and be allowing the Holy Ghost. I mean, if, we're, if what we're just saying right now, when you're in this luminous stage, that the Holy Ghost is actually working in you and you're sort of becoming much more passive, and God's doing the work, then... Well, yeah, of course. God wrote the book. He divinely inspired it. He's basically going to be opening it and reading it for you. Yeah, yeah I can see how that, that is. You know, But again, you had a very different culture then where people were, were certainly much more uh, – well, I shouldn't say much more. Anyway. Well, it, it definitely was a different culture. Where the Christian faith permeated everything. Like you breathed and, and, and drank in from the very air and the very soil and the very water, the, the Catholic faith. Everybody yeah. was Catholic. So. Uh, people could reach different heights, I think, in, in those times, for sure. Definitely, um, yeah. And, I mean, as far as the standard for what it meant to be Catholic, it was drastically different. I mean, 70% don't believe in the real presence today. I mean, that's like, it's nuts. So anyway, I, a few other things. I think in this time, you really start to see God's providence. Like, your faith becomes more and more alive. You really start to see God as guiding your life. This is, so the deepest questions we have as humans are, who who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And you start to understand these things. And it's still a mystery. You know, our whole faith is predicated on mystery. Like we have to realize we're entering more and more into mystery in the mystical life, more and more into mystery. It's amazing and it's infinite. You know, it would be an infinite uncovering forever for all of eternity, seeing God more and more. I mean, it's just incredible, you know. And so it's an unraveling, continue unraveling and seeing his, hand in our life during this time. And so uh, one other thing I want to add is when it comes to the levels of prayer, we talked about the transition of discursive meditation where you're, you're making an effort 
to think about these things and kind of draw out a few golden nuggets here and there in the purgative stage. And you're going to, you know, there's times where you have to do that. We should, we should, this shouldn't be a black and white, like now you're here and now you're there. It's like, it can be very fluid, even in, you know, a, a very wise priest told me it could be at a different stage throughout a single day, you know, like right when you wake up in the morning, I mean, you're going to have, you're usually going to have to make an act of the will to like make sure you get out of bed and you get going. It's not going to be like just all easy sailing. Um, there's suffering for sure still, and it's in a deeper sense. But anyway, the transition on that from that discursive meditation to infused contemplation, there's actually four stages after infused contemplation. There's just this transition from more of my own effort to now, okay, God is starting to act more and more. I'm kind of giving the reins to him to guide me, and I have to be receptive and cooperative not just purely passive, but the passivity is really a cooperation where I, I say yes with my will, my fiat in my prayer. So there's the prayer of quiet. Um, that is the first level of infused contemplation where God's acting there. And that's generally like St. Teresa describes it like a, a baby feeding from its mother. Okay. It's very gentle. It's very, it's kind of soothing. You know, it's not very forceful. Then the next level that would arguably continue in the illuminative stage some might say it's in the unitive but this terminology kind of gets especially in these higher stages kind of gets tough but the next stage think what saint Teresa calls is the prayer of union where it's still got acting but it's very different than the prayer of quiet in the sense that it's very intense and it doesn't it, it may not last for as long it may be sometimes overwhelming even But you come out, she said, one of the good, one of the signs of this is you come out stronger, like you have a sense in your soul, you're stronger in virtue. Um, Like your soul has been purified in a way where you start to unite more and more. I want the, I actually actively, positively want the will of God. I desire it in a way. And that would apply internally, but also when it comes to the salvation of souls. So having a desire more and more for souls to be saved in a universal sense becomes more prevalent during this time. Is that making sense so far? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's one more level of prayer that would happen during this time. I mean, arguably again, but this is the prayer of betrothal. St. Teresa describes this. It's like this whole time you've been courting God with your will. In, in the prayer of union, your will has kind of been stamped in a way, but it hasn't been wholly given over. The prayer of betrothal is like, okay, now we've said we're going to get married. The transform union is considered spiritual marriage to God. Um, but we're not quite fully there yet. Like God's sort of just testing us in a certain way of like showing our showing our love. And that's where you're going to hit what's called the dark night of the soul, which we can talk about when we talk about the unitive stage. But basically this prayer of betrothal, of spiritual betrothal, there's a lot of the prayer of union is intense. The spiritual betrothal time can be a time of real, real dryness, but also like like ecstasies. Basically, you'll hear stories about saints like Saint Teresa of Avila during when she was in this stage. You know, she would be found like before images quite frequently, like in ecstasy. Like she would be walking around and stuff, you know, in the parlor, and then just she's just standing there, you know, and you're like. Hey, you're right. Like, so that that's the kind of stuff because God's what what's happening there. That word ecstasy is to be out of oneself, out of oneself. God is like stripping the spirit from the body in a way. That's basically what ecstasy refers to. So 
in a certain, this is debatable. Is that one like purely extraordinary or not? You know, I think like St. Therese of Lisieux, she may have had only one or two experiences like that because she had a lot, a lot of darkness during this time. But regardless, the general sense that God is basically purging the spirit from the very, very, very hidden imperfections in our spirit that's starting to take place all through this illuminative stage, but especially in that transition to the unitive, the third stage. And so that, that would be the, the last, you know, to conclude all this through all this time, God is preparing the soul for total union. We're in the, it's still the adolescence phase. You know, we got to keep that in mind. This is still the adolescence. We're in childhood. Now we're in adolescence. And in this adolescence phase, we still think about like, okay, you might get the external stuff right down and you're kind of working on this thing here and there. But think about all the, if you really, in your heart of hearts, you know, your ego is so attached to even the best of things that you do, your pride or your vanity, um, sloth, you're not quite quick enough to really love and do things for the purest motive, all those kind of things. Like we know in our heart of hearts, even on our best days, like those things need to be rooted out at a very deep level. And so that's what God desires so much from us to be his spouses, to be his his sons living in total greatness and glory in him. That's what he desires for us. Not just mediocrity or settling for something, but glory. So anyway, that's what he's preparing during this time, purging those hidden faults in a hidden way by identifying more with Christ in that union of prayer, in the dryness, and in the meditations and really the contemplation of his mysteries in our day-to-day life. Well, to conclude, uh, one comment, one question. So my comment is just maybe to help others, helps me, but you might be like me, get involved with people in a lot of discussions about the faith. People want to argue about certain points of the faith. And as I hear you saying all this, it sort of makes all those arguments seem so superfluous, uh, like so so much vanity. Because I sit there thinking, for example, in particular right now, I'm thinking of Venerable Mary of Agreda. And all the things she tells us about our Blessed Mother's life, I'm probably thinking of it because we've got the No Mary, No Jesus series, right? And Father Rodriguez has been talking about that. I'm learning things. And you still get comments, for example, here on, on the various social platforms that the Fatima Center's got where people are sort of incredulous, they don't believe it, uh, or how could this lady know that? You know, there's just, you know, a lot of people have these different reactions. But I sit there thinking, if there is a person who's in an illuminative stage or a unitive stage, like a saint, then of course what they're seeing is so different from us. Like, how can we expect to see the same things that they're seeing? I mean, I'm sure you know the analogy of Plato's cave, right? So many of us are like the guys that are chained up and we're looking at the back of the wall and all we see are little shadows and we think we're so smart and we know everything and somebody's actually gotten freed from the chains and is making their way out of the cave or they're up in the sunlight and they're trying to tell us things and we just think they're completely crazy. So it hopefully will inspire a little bit of humility in us and will help us appreciate more what the saints are trying to teach us to just realize that they're in a whole different kind of spiritual stage than we are. And parents know this so well. You know, it's great to use the word adolescent or the infant stage because as parents, you're always telling your kids, well, you're so young right now. You just don't get it. You don't have the experience. You know, you're a little baby. You don't get it. But do we not realize that spiritually we're the same, right? And so hopefully that will inspire certain humility in us so that we don't question like the wisdom of the church's great saints right again maybe we wouldn't have dismantled so many things in our faith in our liturgy in our catholic worship if we had had that humility uh so that was the comment the one question i had just as you spoke about some of these things i mean i'm probably like eons away from any kind of illuminative stage so i'm you know well grounded in the purgative stage myself 
But it was interesting because as you spoke about some of those things, I was like, you know, every now and then I've gotten like maybe a little inkling, maybe a little tiny flash of what he's kind of describing, a little tiny understanding. Maybe not. Maybe I'm uh, off my rocker here. So I kind of just wanted to ask, is that sort of possible in this blending that maybe while you're in the purgative stage, you you do get maybe some flashes of something that is more characteristic of the illuminative? Can that happen? Or or if you're in the illuminative, can you sort of like fall back and feel some of the pains of the purgative so that people don't necessarily think, look, it's real clear cut, but it's it's much more fluid. I think you've even used that term. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because basically we're just talking, I mean, if we boil it down, this is basically just the spiritual organism we talked about, the seed that was planted, just starting to grow more and more. And so the, the, the DNA, you have the DNA of the unitive stage like in you already. That's there. That's the normal flourishing of it. And particularly, you see that with the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And so, of course, you know, you have the sails. They're already there. We all have the sails in our baptism. And so that would only make sense that we have we've seen glimpses and probably a lot of times we weren't even fully conscious of it where that has been starting to happen. So it's just basically that's starting to happen more and more. And some of these other phenomena are like as you start to stretch out, as the branches start to come out, you're starting to feel those growing pains in a way. Um, yeah, or growing then the leaves pains, start coming. Growing pains for sure, because that's been the expression I have. Every now and then I've sort of said, you know, I, I was praying or I was thinking about, you know, a mystery of faith, for example. And I, and I say, and then I got to this point where I felt like my brain was going to break, like it was going to burst. Like, I just couldn't handle it. And unfortunately, it sort of, like, scared me a little. Like, I sort of, like, stepped back. I'm like, I can't go there. Like, my brain just can't handle it. So I don't know if that's kind of what, you know, you're describing. Because well, yeah. the mysteries of the faith are like that. Like, I'm like, I'm finite. And this is an infinite ocean, right? St. Augustine on the ocean yeah. beach with the little, the little boy who comes and tells him, you can't fill the ocean in your little hole. That's sometimes where I feel like I'm going to burst. I just I can't handle this. And so then I, yeah. Yeah, well, so, I mean, that's, and that's why it's, a lot of this is about learning to be receptive, you know, in a way like there's so little talk about doing penance. And, you know, when you learn about the traditional Lent and all these different things, you're like, well, there's all these things I better be doing. It's like, well, in a certain sense, yeah, we got to be much more penitential and fast more and try to study our faith more and, and apply ourselves. But really, once you like if, you, if that's your intent, a really, really important thing to even have the strength to do that in a society that is so difficult as it is just to fulfill the minimal standard takes a lot of strength. You know, we need these gifts to even do a lot of those things to have sort of a supernatural strength. So that would also apply, you know, to things like study where we realize just this is so amazing. And like you said, it feels like I'm going to burst where God can infuse it instead of our own reasoning, our own rationality, because that has a limit. That's still the natural plane when we're using our reason. It's when we allow the Holy Ghost to come in and act supernaturally and we cooperate and we're receptive to that. That's when it's like takeoff happens. And that's the beauty of the mystical life. And it's, but it is a mystery. It's, it's like our, we want to be able to control and it's starting to let go of that control. Um, as much as we can say we trust God and all that, but really to let go of control in that deep level in our soul, it's, it can be a little daunting, you know? For sure. Well, I think that's a lot to sort of uh, think about, to chew on, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to talking more with you about that third stage, the unity stage. So that'll be up next time. I'm, I'm sure you'll join us then. And if we can just go ahead and close with, uh, with Hail Mary, Kevin. Sure, great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris. 
tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritus Sancto. Sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Alleluia Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. We'll see you next time. Thanks, David. It was a pleasure. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support our vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us.